filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Caligiuri. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast with none other than yours truly. It means a lot to me that you're here and you're subscribing to the podcast and you're listening to the podcast on a regular basis. I see the numbers going up every single week and I see a lot of you that um, are highly engaged in the podcast. And I'm getting all the messages on Twitter, LinkedIn, through email, even through, through some uh, text messages as well too. So you know what? It, um, it really means a lot to me that you're tuned into the podcast and I'm glad that I'm able to bring value to you every single week. And if today is your first time listening to the podcast, then welcome, and I hope that you become a fan of Cut the Crap Podcast, and that you become a subscriber of the show. So thank you so much for tuning in. As I do every single week, I send out a reminder to you to go to cutthecrappodcast.com and sign up for the weekly mind maps that I send out to you. They're a good compliment to the podcast, and I see a lot of you are taking that advice, and you're signing up for the mind maps. So thank you for doing that, and I hope, again, through the mind maps, I'm able to drive some value for you as well, too. Something that I always like to do is I like to stay open to constructive criticism, to feedback. If you have any feedback for me in terms of you know what you think about the show, what you think about the mind maps, if you have different ideas in mind, I am all ears. So go to cutthecrappodcast.com and on the bottom there you have the contact us form field. Just feel free to put in any type of information that you feel that uh, I should be considering for the podcast or for mind maps. And I'll be sure to take it all into consideration. And um, if I think that I can make changes for the better, then I'll do that. So please do so. I would uh, really appreciate that. All right, so let's crack right into it. What are we doing this week? The Sales Bible, the ultimate sales resource by Jeffrey Gitmer. So for anybody who doesn't know Jeffrey Gittimer, he is a genius, a genius when it comes to sales. He's written a ton of books. He's done a lot of speaking engagements, and I've actually been lucky enough to catch Jeff live at a, um, at a conference one time, and he drops golden nuggets like you would not believe. I'm a really big fan of his because I like what he brings to sales. He brings a different attitude, different perspective. It's, it's more bold than what you get from a lot of traditional sales books. He's a big fan of trying new things and really stepping outside of the traditional comfort zone. And this book necessarily isn't bringing you a lot of that per se, but a lot of books that I've read from him in the past, um, they are very much pushing that bold behavior from the sales professional. So uh, I'm a big fan of this book. And this is going to be the very first book that I'll cover out of many others in the future from Jeffrey Gittimer. All right, so enough chit-chat from me. Let's get right into the golden nuggets. Golden nugget number one. All sales start with attitude. I don't necessarily mean giving somebody attitude. I mean your attitude. The attitude that you bring to sales is a big determining factor in how successful you become. Well, let me ask you this question. How important do you think attitude is? Do you think attitude's really important? Do you think that it's just a nice to have? I can have a crummy attitude and I can still kill it at sales. What do you think? Well, common sense would tell you the way I'm positioning it is that obviously attitude is a big piece to how successful you are. I mean, I've already said it. 
And so Jeffrey Gitmer tries to prove this point by bringing us data that he found. And according to a recent study that was from the book, having a bad attitude accounted for 50% of failed sales. 50%. Poor verbal and written communication skills follow behind attitude at 20%. Poor management at 15% and improper training at 15%. So your attitude is a massive piece to how successful you are. If you come into work and you're making your cold calls or you have to try to convince somebody of, a, of, a, of an idea or if you're trying to sell a service, if you come into it with a crummy attitude, chances are you're not going to make the sale. But if you come into it with an attitude that exudes confidence, an attitude that exudes that you're proud of what it is you're bringing to them, then you know what? That attitude will really go a long way to helping you get that sale closed. So what is all of this telling us? Is telling us that with a change in your attitude, it'll dramatically improve your sales performance. And let me tell you right now something that's really important. Before I lose you on this podcast, if you're not in sales, it doesn't matter. You could be in marketing, HR, you could be in finance, you could be just tuning into this as a student, you could be a mom or a dad at home. It doesn't matter what you are or what you do. Every single one of you are in sales. Whether you like it or not, you are in sales. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried to convince your spouse to do something? Have you ever tried to convince your kids to do something? Go to bed at 10 o'clock or come home at 11 o'clock or you should be eating your vegetables or you should be taking a shower every single day. Every single one of us are in sales because sales is not just about selling a physical product or an intangible service. Sales is about compelling someone enough to see your point of view. That's what sales is. And so with that definition of sales, every single one of us are in sales. So with that in mind, and if attitude is a big determining factor of that, how do we use attitude to our advantage to increase our chances of getting people to see things that we see them and for them to buy into it, for them to agree to either buy into our product or service or buy into our idea? So the information that Jeff gives to us in the book, it's good, but I'm not really that big of a fan of it because I don't think that it would help me all that much. I mean, maybe it'll help you. So what Jeff is suggesting is that you write out a mission statement. And in that mission statement, he wants you to incorporate your goals, your ideas. What do you want to achieve? Write that down. And it shouldn't be complex. It shouldn't be long. It should be very tight, very short and sweet. Here's an example for you. If I have a sales goal of $500,000 this year, I have to sell $500,000 in services this year. And what that's going to get me is going to get me a bonus. And that bonus, it's going to get me to that vacation that I want. Or I'm going to be able to buy that massive TV that I want. I'm going to start to build a mission statement around something that's very personal to me. Something that's going to get me jacked up. Something that's going to get me excited. And Jeff believes that's going to be the stimulus, the impetus to help you get more excited, bring a better attitude to things. I kind of disagree. And I don't want to disagree just for being difficult, but I disagree because I'm bringing to it um, a different perspective, different advice that I heard elsewhere that I really liked. And this advice comes from none other than Tony Robbins. And I know a lot of you can laugh at Tony Robbins and say, oh my God, you know, it's, it's banana hands. You know, he, he's the, 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 the big guy who talks really loud and tries to motivate people. And, 
The Banana Hands, by the way, that's a uh, a reference from Shallow Hal. He had a guest appearance on that, and uh, one of the things that uh, Jack Black called him was Banana Hands. So, anyways, it's besides the point. But Tony Robbins has a lot of value to add, and especially with this one here. He's a big proponent of changing your attitude. And the one thing that he always says is your physiology determines your psychology. So what that means is that you're sitting there with a really bad attitude. You're feeling down. You're feeling out. That's your psychology. And oftentimes people try to change their psychology. And it's so tough. It's so tough to get yourself out of that crummy state that you're in. And no matter how hard you try, you just, you know what? You got to go to bed and uh, hopefully start fresh the next day. The problem with that is that you're going to get yourself into a pattern of getting used to having crummy thoughts. And those thoughts are going to control you. And that's not a really good place to be if your thoughts are controlling you. So how do we control our thoughts? And how do we control our thoughts so it changes our attitude? Change your physiology. Here's an example for you. Picture in your head right now. Just picture somebody who's meek. Somebody who lacks confidence. Somebody who's shy. Someone who's intimidated. Somebody who's scared to make a phone call. What do you picture in your head? I picture somebody sitting at their desk, you know, their face in their hands, you know, running their hands to their forehead, breathing shallow, not making eye contact, looking at the floor. That's what I picture in my head. Now, picture in your head somebody who's confident, somebody who's exuding a great amount of pride in what they do, somebody who's excited, somebody who just can't wait to get on the phone. Who do you picture? In my head, I picture somebody standing up, somebody who's excited, somebody whose eyes are locked forward, somebody who's going to reach for that phone, they're ready to pick it up, they're smiling, they're breathing deep. That's who I picture. So now, why do we picture that? Why do we picture somebody who's meek that way and somebody who's strong and confident the other way? Because it's our bodies, it's our physiology. How our bodies are will determine our psychology. Now, it's not going to happen immediately, but you have to start somewhere. So what you need to do to start changing your attitude is to start emulating somebody who exudes confidence. You already know what confidence looks like, so make sure you look that way as well too. If you want to be confident, you have to look confident. You have to appear confident. And as you appear that way, your mind will start to catch up to your body. Don't believe me? Try it. I mean, you'll be lying to yourself if you think it's going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to continuously practice this and make sure that it becomes a habit. Anytime you go for that phone and you're scared to make a cold call and you sit there like, okay, here we go. Here we go, Ryan. I got to make this phone call. Hope this one goes good. Look at your body. What's your body looking like? Get yourself out of that state and make yourself do a power pose, something that will give you confidence. And it's really, really funny, but... One of the power poses that Tony Robbins suggested in one of his audiobooks that I picked up so many years ago. This is maybe about 10, 10 or 12 years ago I picked this book up. And um, the power pose that he suggested was the Superman. And I use this all the time. Anytime I'm feeling down, I'm feeling crummy, I pull out the Superman pose. And what that is is, don't laugh at me. You might see me doing this, but don't laugh at me if you see me. Picture you having a cape on your back. And it's your job to walk upright and forward enough with enough, I don't know, uh, uh, determination that you have to keep that cape flowing in the wind. And so when you picture yourself wearing a cape, walking forward, not only does it kind of make you feel a little bit goofy and makes you smile, but it actually makes you stand up straighter. 
It makes you walk with more vigor. And uh, I use this all the time. So anytime that I'm getting a little bit nervous, you might see me pulling out that Superman pose. So uh, that's my pose. I don't know whatever pose it is that you have that resonates with you, that makes you change your mind. But uh, whatever it is, you got to find that pose and you got to put it to work for you. Because attitude is such a big determining factor in how successful you are. And so what I really want you to get through here is that you don't have to be held prisoner by your thoughts. Start by changing your body. By changing your body, you'll start to change your thoughts, okay? And when you change your thoughts, your attitude will change. And when your attitude changes, your performance will change. As evidenced by the statistic that Jeffrey provided to us. And that 50% of failed sales is a result of having a bad attitude. Change that attitude immediately and hopefully your sales performance will also start to change. Golden nugget number two. Friendships are your key to long-term sales success. Ask any experienced salesperson and they'll tell you that building friendships is a key piece to their long-term success. And why do you think that is? It's because friends like to buy from friends. In the book, Jeff cites a statistic and says that friendships are said to be responsible for over 50% of every successful sale. 50% is a huge number. And the reason for that is, again, just friends like doing business with friends. It's so much easier to buy from somebody that you know, like, and trust. It's just that simple. Take, for example, any entrepreneur that goes the route of the home-based business. A lot of the uh, home-based businesses, they sell soaps or shampoos or cleaning supplies. Whatever it is, they always suggest that you start selling to friends and family first. And again, the reason for that is that they are more likely to buy from you, which gets that entrepreneur off on the right foot quicker. It's a great strategy to build some early success, get some early wins, and before they start going out there and doing some prospecting, kind of just build their confidence up. So there's a lot of advantages to doing business with your friends as well, too. When you do business with your friends, you don't need fancy PowerPoint decks You don't need to put a lot of time into figuring out how to do a creative follow-up strategy. You don't have to haggle as much on price. And they'll give you a straightforward answer a lot faster as well too. So doing business with your friends is just smart sales. Now we all want those advantages. So the question is, how do you turn a customer or a prospect into a friend? Easy. Cut the crap around trying to schmooze them and actually take an interest in them. Now, I know a lot of executives and a lot of individuals who have said things and said these things to me as well, too, in that you're not there to have coffee or you're not there to have lunch and make a friend. You're there to close a deal. Or they've said things like, you know, you're great at building friendships, but you're not good at closing deals. Disagree 100%. A lot of these folks, they're short-sighted and quite foolish, actually. They believe that it's all about just making that short-term sale. No, no, no. I'm investing in the relationship up front. And because I'm trying to make a complex sale here, you can't just expect them to say yes and sign on the dotted line after two meetings. It doesn't happen that way. You have to allow time to really build a friendship, getting to know somebody. And you need to allow that person to get to know you as well too. And by building those friendships up over time and demonstrating value to them, Uh, through the products, through the services that you offer, through ideas that you can provide to them, that's going to help go a long way. But it's a balance though. You can't just go out and and be buddy-buddy with them and build friendships without talking about business. It's, It's both. It's a balance. So in any type of situation where you're required to sell a product or service, while you also want to make a friend at the same time, combine the two. And the way to do that 
is to get your butt outside of the office and outside of the nine to five and start taking an interest in them in things that they want to do. If they like golf, take them golfing. If they like wine, then get a glass of red with them. If they like smoking cigars, then hit up a cigar bar and a glass of Johnny. I mean, that's going to be a great way to build friendship with people. It's these small little investments that you'll make in the relationship that'll turn into a friendship. The idea here is while you're making friends, make sure they know the value you can also bring to them and their business. This is how I like to sell. When I take people out to lunch or out to dinner, we go out golfing, bowling, whatever it is, we talk shop quite often. And the way that I like to do that is, again, just telling them a little bit about some of the work that I'm doing, some of the successes that I've had. And I also like to give them information. I like to educate them. I want them to walk away and say, man, not only is Ryan a really nice guy, but he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. And that's what I want to leave them with. I want to leave them with the idea that I'm a good guy, I'm fun to be around, and I'm really smart. And I know my stuff. Very simple. When you put it that way, it's not that hard now, is it? Golden nugget number three. Excessive preparation equals wow factor. So Jeffrey Gitmer talks about something called the wow factor. That special moment you experience when you're completely impressed with what you're experiencing. Jeff suggests that for all successful salespeople to achieve that wow factor, we need to exercise extreme preparation. I 100% agree with Jeff on this point because some of the biggest wins and greatest moments in my career came about as a result of extreme preparation. I'll tell you a, little, a quick story here. And uh, there's really two things you can take from this story. First is the overall lesson, but two, it's the actual strategy that I employed. Uh, you might want to try it out in your own business uh, or with a, a future marketing campaign because I felt it worked really well for me. So when I first created my sales and marketing training program, I didn't necessarily want to go about and do things the way that I've always done things because I've always wanted to try to do things differently and try to get a better result as a result of doing something different that stands out. So most of the times when people bring out a new product or a new service, they like to create a website. And that website's all about them. It's all about what I can do and um, you know, highlights my services, about me, whatever it is. Um, it's fairly status quo. So what I decided to do instead was create 25 individual websites for my 25 top prospects. So while some of you say that's pretty crazy, it's not that crazy because all I did was create a very simple one-pager for each of them. A one-page website and a specific domain for them as well too, so it kind of stood out. And on that individual landing page for each of them, there was a blog and a space for downloadable content. That's it. So every single week, I would create a blog post on each and every single one of these websites, on every 20, all 25 of them. And, uh, uh, and so I kept that up for, I think it was about five months I ran that campaign. Five months I ran the campaign and it was very successful. I signed 23 of 25 clients. That's a 92% close ratio. This to me was a groundbreaking move and a validation of my hypothesis because I believed that um, people were so bombarded with information that they only pay attention to what's 100% directed to them. So what I did was I, uh, I had to get to know a lot about their business. I had to be very prepared. I had to do a lot of research, a lot of reading. I had to collect statistics. I had to build custom programs, develop sample strategies, and even build projected numbers for them. I was overly prepared. But it was all worth it. It was all worth it in the end. 
you know, at the time you're putting it together, you're looking at it, you're saying, oh my God, it's so much work. I hope this pays off. It did pay off because I was overly prepared. And this is the most telling piece that validates this golden nugget. Each of the 23 clients that I signed said that it was because of how much effort I put into getting to know them and how much effort I put into educating them and bringing them information was that was one of the biggest reasons why they ended up signing was because I put in so much work. All that work, all that preparation, that was me being extremely prepared to demonstrate my expertise to these clients. So let me ask you this. Is creating individual websites for 25 prospects excessive? Yes, it is. Is creating 25 blog posts a week excessive? You're damn right it is. And is doing research and giving hours of thought to each prospect excessive? 100% yes, it is excessive, but maybe that's just exactly what the doctor ordered for you to stand out and have wildly amazing sales numbers. Extreme preparation, you can't go wrong with that. You can never go wrong with being overly prepared. Golden nugget number four. Don't sell me the feature, sell me the benefit. Now, I know a lot of you have likely heard this before. Don't sell features, sell benefits. But it's got to be repeated here because so many of you on your websites, you sell too many features and not enough vivid benefits. The objective of what we're trying to do in sales and marketing is to persuade and motivate the prospect or the customer to act Now, just think of what will benefit the customer the most. It's not going to be some boring description of what it is you do, but instead it's going to be a vivid, energetic, benefit-filled picture that you paint for them that's going to get them wanting more. You're not going to get that from features. You will get that from benefits, though. So if you're trying to sell safety in a truck, don't sell stabilization control. Sell them reduced rollover risk. If you're trying to sell shoe polish... Don't sell them a blend of three waxes. Sell them a shine that lasts two times longer. Don't sell cars. Sell prestige and status and a smooth ride. Don't sell insurance. Sell safe, financially secure families protected from tragedy. Don't sell eyeglasses. Sell better vision and a stylish look. You see how I'm doing this? I'm focusing more on the benefits. I'm focusing on what they're going to get, not on the feature. There's that old saying that comes from uh, the advertising industry where it's, you know, don't sell me the drill bit, just sell me the hole. You know, it's very interesting. It's the exact same thing here. You're trying to sell the benefit. And one of the biggest traps a marketer or a sales pro can fall into is confusing features and benefits. You know, it happens so often that when we sell products or services, when we start to develop copy, we merely want to present a list of the features because it's easy and it's easy, but it's simply not enough to make a sale. Now, you need to have both. Yes, both features and benefits are equally important for effective communication. But the end of the day will be the benefits that give you the best advantages for converting customers. So a little bit of advice for you. Go on your website. Go on your website. Go into the emails that you're sending out um, to uh, prospects, to customers, and look at how many benefits you have and how many features you have. And for those of you who do have benefits, how vivid do you get with them? How descriptive do you get? Again, selling benefits is incredibly important when you're doing direct sales. Remember, don't sell the feature, sell the benefit. Golden nugget number five, use power questions to get intel on your prospects and your customers. 
So building rapport, getting closer to signing a deal requires us to ask really good questions. Power questions, those are tight, open-ended questions that get the prospects talking in greater detail about their current situation. So open-ended questions versus closed-ended. Closed-ended questions, those are questions that can be answered with a simple yes or no. Open-ended questions gives the prospect or the customer an opportunity to go into more detail for you. It forces them to go into more detail. A big mistake that a lot of salespeople make, though, is in telling the prospect why they should buy. They don't ask questions. They just tell them, this is why you should buy, X, Y, Z. It's not your job to tell them why they should buy from you. It's your job to get the prospect to tell you the reasons why they should buy. While that might seem hard or somewhat complex at first, it's actually quite easy. Uh, Here's an example for you. Let's say you're selling services and you ask a prospect a simple yet powerful question such as, um, how do you choose your service provider? It's a very harmless question. It doesn't really dig too deep. The answers they provide to you will give you a lot of information that will help you in the sales process. So the answer they give you could say, um, we make our decisions based on uh, track record, years of experience, and uh, specialty in a particular area. So now that you know these three things, this gives you the opportunity to do a couple things. One, you can either dig deeper into those and uh, learn more about them. Or number two, you can begin to address those questions with the strengths that your company has and start to fill those gaps already, start connecting the dots for them. Now, yes, it is a very simple concept, but by asking open-ended questions, it'll get the prospect talking, which is exactly what you want. You want them to be on the defensive and you on the offensive. And while that might sound a little aggressive, you want to control the meeting. And by controlling the meeting, you ask them questions and you have them answering. And all you have to do is be a damn good listener. Be a good listener, be a good note taker, and be great at playing connect the dots for them. Listen to them and help them understand how your product or your service can help them. It's very simple. So use your power questions, your open-ended questions to get more intel on your prospects and your customers. Golden nugget number six, know how to deal with no. So all of us, we all use blow off statements all the time to try and get a salesperson off the phone with us, right? We're all guilty of that. We will say anything to get rid of them. The key to handling resistance is not trying to overcome it, but rather to simply acknowledge it and then move past it. And that's what I want you to get out of this golden nugget. And I'll give you some examples that will help clarify what that truly means. Uh, Now, in the sales Bible, Jeff provides some really good advice for getting past no. And while I think he's amazing at providing the advice, I'm a script guy. I love scripts. And for me, that's one of the best ways for me to learn. It's put me in that situation so that I can immerse myself, so I can picture the resistance that's coming to me, and I can see a script for how to get myself out of that. So what I'll do here for this golden nugget is take the advice that Jeff provided and translate that into a a scripted response. So response number one to getting a no. Call them by their first name, by the way. Always use a first name. So that's fine, Jane. And many people I speak with tell me the exact same thing as well. And as they learn more about this and see what this can really do for them, they were really glad they took a few minutes to listen. One thing that would be a good fit for you is, you know, dot, dot, dot. This is where you would fill in, uh, you know, your brief pitch. 
And then you would follow up your pitch by asking a qualifying question like, do you see how that would work for you? So you see what I mean? I'm not trying to overcome it. I'm acknowledging it and moving past it. If I was trying to overcome it, then I would say, oh, well, you're missing out. You need to be focusing on this. And this is why this is great. And this is why this is great. And this is why this is great. And you're trying to overcome the no. Response number two to a no. No, I understand. I didn't expect you to be interested at all, Jane. You don't know enough about this product yet to be really interested in it. But like me and everyone else, I do know that you're interested in, and this is where you'd put a benefit, saving money, increasing production, return, etc. And that's why I'm calling. Let me ask you a quick question. If I could show you how you can you know, provide a unique benefit here and even save you time or money, wouldn't you be happy you took a few minutes to find out how? And often they'll give you a, yeah, sure, and they'll sort of limp into it. And this is how a lot of sales calls go. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how relationships start a lot of the times. It's that, you know, you are more eager than the other person. But it's your job to bring them on board. And this is how, again, when I mentioned earlier, all the friends that I do business with, all of those folks, they all started off like that. They all sort of limped in. You got to start somewhere. And so these are really good ways, good scripts for you to get going. All right, I'll give you one more here. Uh, response number three to a no. Hey, I know that, Jane. Heck, if you were interested, you'd have called me first. You know, and say that with a little bit more of a smile in your voice. And, you know, they'll feel that through the phone. But seriously, I know you get a lot of sales calls. And every now and then it makes sense to listen to the right call. And this is it. And this is where you can continue on with your value proposition. And then ask a question like, do you think that would help you too? You know, these are so fun. I find this to be the most fun piece to prospecting because it is fun. Everybody gets so scared of getting a no. Oh my God. That what if they say no? Yeah, what if they say no? Who cares? Let them say no because you're armed with the right scripts in terms of how to deal with that no. And these responses to the no's, they're not hard sells. They're not going to be uncomfortable for you to ramble off. They're very easy to ramble off. They're very neutral, very safe, but they're very effective as well too. I strongly urge you that if you're doing any prospecting or if you're doing any cold calls, whatever it is, to incorporate these three responses. I actually have six of my favorite responses that I've used over the years to dealing with the no response. Um, what I'll do is on this week's mind map, I'll also include the mind map, but I'll also include a PDF of my six scripts, the scripts that I used to deal with no. And there's no rhyme or reason of which one I choose. You know, before I go into my calls, I'll just sort of go through and I'll say, you know what, I'm going to pick uh, response number four. And I just use that. There's no rhyme or reason or either or, but... Uh, it's important to have some in your back pocket so that you can use them when you need to. So if you aren't signed up to the mind maps yet, go to cutthecrappodcast.com and make sure you sign up and you'll get the mind map. But I will also send you a PDF of my favorite uh, scripted responses to uh, when I get a no. All right. And finally, golden nugget number seven, how to turn voicemail into a powerful sales tool. Too often when we're doing prospecting, we get voicemail, right? You get voicemail 90% of the time. But we approach voicemail in a very weak fashion. A lot of the typical voicemail messages that are left for prospects go something like this. Hey, uh, Jane, it's Ryan calling from company XYZ. I wanted to get in touch with you to talk to you a little bit about your needs in the areas of XYZ. 
I look forward to connecting with you. Hopefully you and I can connect. You know, we can go for some coffee or some lunch, whatever is easiest for you. Give me a call back at, you know, my phone number. I look forward to reaching back out with you and connecting. You know, something along those lines. And it's just, it's so weak. There's nothing compelling about it. There's no reason for me to get back in touch with you. There's a very small percentage of the marketplace that's going to get back in touch with you. A very small percentage. You know, if we go back to the ultimate sales machine, I think that was episode number four of Cut the Crap Podcast, where we talk about the, um, the buying pyramid, where at any point in time, there's only 3% of the marketplace that's buying now. Only 3%. Those 3% will be the folks that call you back. The other 97%, they're not calling you back. There's no way they're calling you back. So you have to appeal to a greater majority. So you need to approach voicemail in a far more compelling manner. So one of the things that Jeff suggests in the book is to use a technique where it cuts off in the middle of the, in the, middle of the voicemail. Now, I, I can see how that's effective. I definitely can because it will definitely stand out. But to me, that doesn't resonate with me. I won't use that. So here's the example. You get a voicemail and you leave a voicemail like this. Hey, uh, Jane, it's Ryan calling from Company XYZ. You know, I'm really excited to get in touch with you because we have this report that we just finished conducting. And in the report, there's a lot of sales statistics in there that talk very specifically about your industry. One statistic in particular says, and then you cut off, you hang up the phone. And it's in Jeff's belief and through his experience that people will call you back as a result of that because they want to know the information. It's like a cliffhanger. You leave them hanging, wanting more. I can see how that's successful and by all means, incorporate that into your approach. If you have some content with some interesting information, try it. What do you have to lose? I know for me personally, I don't like that approach. I feel like it kind of, you know, it's, I don't, not to say deceptive because it's not deceptive, but you know, it's, it's, it's playing games and you know, to me that didn't really resonate with me at all or, or my style, my approach and that's okay. It's not right. It's not wrong. We can agree to disagree. It's Okay. So something that I found that worked really well for me was to, um, again, leave them hanging by not giving them enough information about something, but to sort of take them down a journey throughout the week. So I would typically leave them voicemails that provide them with a little bit of a teaser. So here's an example of something I would leave on Monday if I get their voicemail. Hey, Enrico, it's Ryan calling from company XYZ. Sorry I missed you. The reason for my call is because Arlen at company ABC asked me to get in touch with you about the project we executed that helped drive more leads to his sales pipeline. You know what? I'll call you back Wednesday at 4 p.m. and uh, hopefully we can connect then. We'll talk soon. So the objective of this first message is to just let them know that I called. There's no reason to leave a phone number or talk about my company. The first message doesn't require any type of action on the part of the prospect or the lead. I'm the one who's making the commitment to call them back at Wednesday at 4 p.m. And they're expecting that. So my second message on Wednesday, I'll leave them another short message. But this time, I'll leave them with a little bit more of a teaser. Something that will compel them to want to talk to me. And again, I'm not going to put any action on them. This is the second call. And again, I want to keep it short. I want to keep it compelling. So what I would leave them on Wednesday is something like this. Hey, Enrico, it's Ryan calling from company XYZ. As promised on Monday, I would reach back out to you at this time to try and connect. Sorry I missed you again. Arlen at company ABC thought it'd be a really good idea for us to connect so you can learn more about how we were able to drive an increase in sales leads in six months for his company. You know what? I'll give you a try again on Friday at 8 a.m. We'll talk soon. 
So again, he will sit there and listen to this and say, you know what? Okay, this is interesting. And the one thing that's going to stand out about this is I didn't leave a phone number. I didn't tell him to call me back. There was no action for him to take. All he has to do is listen to his voicemail at that exact time. And you know what? I found this to be really interesting because when I would talk to those prospects afterwards, they would comment on the voicemails that I would leave because they would say, you know, I looked forward to hearing what you had to say next. Now, that's something really interesting. And that's something that you love to hear. So, again, it's Friday. I'm leaving them the last message. So this is the kind of message that I would leave with them on Friday if I get their voicemail again. Hey, Enrico. It's Ryan calling from Company XYZ. I promised I would reach back out to you today at 8 a.m. Sorry I missed you again. It's too bad we haven't had an opportunity to connect yet. Maybe you're busy developing your next go-to-market program or maybe I'm just picking the wrong time to reach you. Why don't you give me a call back at, you know, blah, 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 whatever my phone number is. And if I don't hear from you next week, I'll try you again shortly thereafter. I found this approach to work really well for me. And when I leave it on a Friday, I usually get phone calls that Friday or I get phone calls on Monday. And that for me was an approach that worked really, really well. And I would highly suggest that you try an approach like that. These are all different sales approaches. Something that Jeff provides where it's, you know, where it's the cliffhanger approach or mine. It's sort of a combination of the cliffhanger and, you know, leaving them hanging with a little bit more intensity throughout. Maybe you have a different approach. Whatever it is, just call people and make sure that you're utilizing voicemail in a creative fashion, in a compelling fashion. Don't just let voicemail be a boring part of what you do. Because oftentimes people will practice their script. You know, when I get in front of the client, boom, my script is on point. No, no, no. You also have to make sure that you're utilizing the voicemail because that's such a powerful sales tool. Don't waste it. All right, and there we have it. The Sales Bible, the ultimate sales resource by Jeffrey Gitmer. So Jeff has a lot of really great books out like this. He's got the Sales Bible. He's got the Little Red Book of Selling. He's got the Little Black Book of Connections. I love his branding around the products that he puts out. It's fantastic. But like any other book, you know, Jeff isn't exempt from this. Um, There's a lot of things that get stretched out really long. And so, you know, while shorter books... And while the font is really big and there's some color in each of his books, um, again, it's still the exact same thing um, with any other book where there's some concepts that are really good, but they just get stretched out far too long. So I took a lot of those concepts, gave it to you today in the form of Golden Nuggets, and I hope, I hope that you can put some of those things into practice, especially if you're in a sales role. If you're in a sales role and you're doing some prospecting, I hope that you can try some of these things out. And if you do try them out, let me know how they work. If they work, fantastic. If they don't, let me know. I'd love to hear sort of some feedback on what you think about some of these approaches. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. I'll catch you back here next week with some brand new golden nuggets and a brand new business book. Have a great week. Take it easy. It may not happen in six months. It may not happen in a year. It may not happen in two years. But at some point, my dream is going to become a reality. Every single day, we're not waiting for it to happen. We just don't have sight. Sight is for people who live in the present. We have vision. We're going to make it happen before it happens. You got to write even if no one published your book, write because that was given to you to do.
Everything in you is telling you to stop, to give up. Every muscle is aching. And you're saying to yourself, you can do it. Where you are is temporary. You will not be there for the rest of your life. All the people couldn't see it. A lot of people didn't believe it. You were attacked. You were criticized. People were opposing you, but you kept on doing it. It was hard. It was rough. It was difficult. But to you, it was worth it. You have to know that this thing is going to work.